Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right on the weekend. Day eight of training camp is here today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 262. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Chris McPherson and Ben Fennel about the Eagles and what happened at practice today. Admittedly, very light practice, basically a walkthrough style pace, so not a ton of on-field action to report on, but we've got some things to discuss regardless. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind you guys, Best way to support this show. If you're enjoying these daily podcast recaps or the daily practice recaps on the podcast, go on to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you ask to leave a question, we'll answer it here on the show. But if you that's the best way to throw us your support. I'm asking you, if you enjoy these daily pods, best way to go to throw us your support, go on, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. And make sure you go check out the Eagles Insider Podcast with Dave Spadaro as well. Gets a ton of exclusive interviews every show. He gets the heavy hitters from around the organization. Doug Peterson was on the show this week. Carson Wentz was on last week. He was joined by all the members of the 2019 draft class as they enter their second season here in Philadelphia. I know an upcoming episode, uh, he'll be joined by one of the bright spots of camp on offense, a young player who has flashed in young running back Elijah Holt. So make sure you go check that out on the Eagles Insider Podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. All right, so what happened today at practice and training camp? It's time now for Chalk Talk. Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell. Let's dive into it. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back to talk about another Eagles camp practice. Uh, Chris McPherson, Ben Fennel. Guys, uh, as I mentioned, a little bit of a light practice today. Uh, you know, not the uh, high intensity, high urgency, ton of reps on the field. It was basically a walkthrough type of tempo uh, in a 10 10 10 format for the Eagles today. Um, so, not a ton to hit on. Real quick, I guess, guys, we'll go first. Uh, we had a transaction uh, that we can kind of talk through. Uh, the Eagles signing tight end Tyrone Swoops, waving wide receiver. Robert Davis, um, who has been banged up over the last couple of days. Tyrone Swoops, uh, former college quarterback at the University of Texas, was a big-time recruit at, uh, coming out of high school. Five-star kid, uh, one of the top dual-threat quarterbacks in the country. He played baseball. He played. Uh, he was a shooting guard for the basketball team. He was a big-time um, uh, track, track athlete. Star. Yeah, big-time track athlete. Uh, so goes to Texas. Started as a true freshman, had a bunch of starts every single year. He just never quite met the expectations uh, playing the quarterback spot. But because he was such a physical specimen, was able to make that move over to the tight end position. Uh, he's played in, I think, seven games over the course of the last couple of years for Seattle. He's had a couple catches uh, on his resume. So Eagles trying to just take a peek at a guy that uh, can kind of help, you know, potentially help them out on the back end of the roster. Uh, Josh Perkins, as you have alluded to, C-Mac, out for an undisclosed, indetermined amount of time uh, due to an injury. Um, So they they bring in another tight end to kind of compete here. With that being said, talking about the injuries, uh, C-Mac will come to you with the uh, injury and depth chart notes. Again, we'll kind of do what we did yesterday. We'll kind of go position by position. If you want to just, after you finish a spot, uh, give us a little pause and we can uh, jump in if we need to. All right, quarterback all good. Running back Sanders still out. Otherwise, that part's good. 
Wide receiver, you talked about Rob Davis being waived, will likely come back to the team if he clears waivers uh, for the rest of the year, sort of like uh, Deshaun Hall, the defensive end. Um, John Hightower back at practice. So, again, jog through, you know, not high intensity. I know I've been hoping to see all these young receivers finally in action. Selfed away a little bit on Hightower, but at least he was back on the field. Perkins, you mentioned, uh, with the uh, upper by industry, injury he'll be out for indefinite amount of time uh offensive line great news that dillard was back at practice today okay that's the most notable thing there uh, but jordan mylata upper body injuries day to day so he was out of practice uh and then of course you saw lane johnson sideline matt Pryor taking the right tackle reps anything from an offensive standpoint you guys want to touch on there yeah it was just good to see andre dillard back and you know to, to see that it was not that severe again you mentioned it, it wasn't like a heavy practice who knows if this was like a full contact practice if uh, guys like Hightower and Dillard would have been in there. But just to be able to see them, hey, they're in, they're taking reps, uh, you know, with the starters, and they're, they're involved, good to see for sure. All right, go defense. Uh, you know, Derek Barnett, Javon Hargrave still sidelined. Vinny Curry, okay, he came back from the illness yesterday, but he is sidelined now with a lower body injury his day-to-day. Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson had maintenance days. Uh, Anthony Rush was back from an illness, but he trades the illness to Jannard Avery, who was sidelined today. We saw Jannard Avery leave practice early yesterday. Guess nothing to that, just he has the illness. Uh, linebacker situation, all good. And defensive backs, big one there, Sidney Jones. Lower body, still day-to-day, still not on the field. So. Is a maintenance day official team language for the day off? What was, what was the official termination? Maintenance I day, I haven't heard that one. I like that's, that, though. I think that's like a basketball term. I feel like that's like what that sounds like a term for my Volkswagen needs a tune-up day or a maintenance is day. A planned maintenance day is correct. There you go. So yes, but I, I know load load management. I think load is the one for basketball. Big, yeah. That's the one that we're, we're thinking of there. So, but yes. Yeah, so uh, all in all, you know, again, I I think Dillard being back was was the big one. Good to see, regardless of the situation, just that it's not something that's that severe where you feel like you need sure. to get you know someone else the reps there, Ben. You know, Fran, you failed to mention the fan favorite 18-wheeler package of Tyrone Swoops down at Texas. Or the number 18, and they would have this massive goal line package where they would put literally nine offensive linemen on the field and just mash it forward at the goal line because he was a big running quarterback with a lot of physicality and athleticism. Really fun 18-wheeler package. That's a uh, blast from the past there. It's been a while since I've heard about it. Hopefully we'll see it at camp. You know, maybe we'll see it at camp in the next couple days. (laughs) We'll work it through. Uh, Not not (laughs) dissimilar to the – the other Big 12 one was the uh, the Belldozer with Blake Bell when he was at Oklahoma, and he was the quarterback and ended up becoming a tight end. When they put him in, it was like, all right, he's the he's the Belldozer. Get him down on the goal line. The and, quarterback uh, to tight end transition has happened lately. Marquise Gray from Minnesota was a tight end right away. I think Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State is starting to dabble at some tight end. And the, the buzz out of Washington is that Logan Thomas, the former Virginia Tech quarterback, is uh, making the rise up the depth chart. Might be the number one tight end when camp breaks. So, uh, yeah, there might be something there. There's a couple guys. Uh, we've talked about a couple of them on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Make sure you go check that out uh, wherever podcasts can be found. We've been talking about uh, all the top players around the country leading into the 2020 college football season, whatever that season does look like and whenever that can get started. We will uh, we'll be on top of all of it over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. All right, so um, you talk about load management. Today was one of those load management days you know, for the Eagles. It was a very light practice, uh, not a ton to take away from it overall. One, you know, some little things here and there. The one big thing that I felt like, all right, let's talk about this in the podcast a little bit. Um, it was just cool to see, you know, they were working on the field right by the bleachers today. So all the media up in the bleachers, 
right in front of us, uh, Jason Avant, who is uh, obviously a former Eagles uh, longtime receiver, uh, you know, now working with the coaching staff uh, here this summer, uh, working on the side with first-round pick Jalen Rager. Uh, they seem to be like working through releases and how to beat press coverage. Really cool like kind of conversation going back and forth between both guys. And it wasn't like just Jason saying, you need to do this, 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 and this, rookie. It was like them really having good back and forth. And obviously, being where we were, we couldn't hear everything that was being talked about, but just kind of uh, piecing it together. It was just kind of cool to see uh, you know, him getting coached up by a guy who was just such a technically proficient player in Jason Avant. And I, that just got me thinking of all the voices that are in Jalen Rager's ear. You know, obviously, they've got veteran receivers on the roster already, but you throw in Aaron Moorhead, who's been in the league and has uh, done a really good job. You know, for all intents and purposes, the receivers all across the board look really well coached this summer. You throw in Jason Devine. You throw in Darren Sproles with the return game. Uh, it's, it's cool to be able to see that for Jalen Rager, and obviously that applies to John Hightower and Quez Watkins as well. You know, it's interesting because uh, one of the projects I get to work on every week is uh, – Two of our guys from our social media team, Vaughn Johnson, Charlie Johnson, uh, Charlie Jordan. I'm sorry, I give them the props here. Uh, go through every team's uh, you know content for the week, and then we kind of compile it to send it around to see what other teams are working on. And there was a a mic'd up clip from a, it was Dante Fowler who was on the sideline, captured on the sideline, going through pass rush moves and things like that. And it's it's one of those cool like you know, peek behind the curtain type things of what goes on during these these practices to kind of get a sense of, you know, what conversations they're having, getting into the the nitty gritty that maybe not, not all, all fans are going to understand, but these are the little things that make these players better and get them to their highest level. So definitely, I, I think what was important about today from a pacing standpoint is you want these guys, and there's so many young guys that are in the mix here, you need them to play fast, but they also have to know what they're doing. So it's that balance of, all right, on the one hand, you know, we got to get them out there. We got to get them the on-field reps that are going to be as close to game-like situations as possible. At the same time, we need to pull back because we didn't get to do the on-field work in the spring and even really early on in the summer so that we can try to get these guys up to speed so they're feeling comfortable enough so that we, when they go out there on September 13th, they're playing fast, but they're also in the right spot that they're not just kamikaze pilots, you know, going anywhere and everywhere and getting themselves out of position, which could obviously lead to big games there. Uh, you, it, it, when you say kamikaze pilots, I just thought of the <laughs> Curb, Your, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. I just watched that like uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, Fran, really quick. It's, you're also kind of preparing these young rookies to prepare for a 16 and potentially more game season that they've oh, yeah. never had in their entire lives. Yep. So having these lighter practices is all part of the big picture in surviving the season, especially with the young guys where you hit that rookie wall in November, December. A lot of that stuff you do in the summer is all about gearing them up to get through the season in their young career. Yeah, no question. It's just been fun to be, you know, you talk about Dante Fowler or C-Mac, just seeing all the vets all across the roster, uh, working with the young guys on you know, either side of the ball. And I mentioned before, you know, Darius Slay working not just with the corners, but working with the receivers and trying to get them to improve in all the little things that they're doing. It, it, it is cool, a really cool part of camp uh, to be able to see the older guys working with a lot of the young guys and the young guys all working together as well to just try and get better. Um, you know, certainly one of the things I like following uh, throughout camp. C-Mac, were there any other big, big takeaways um, that you talked? You know, I know you were standing in the end zone uh, throughout practice. Is there anything that you took away from today? Yeah, I just want to follow up on the Avant thing. I feel like he was doing it as a player. And he right. was always the guy, going back to his playing days, the young guys were told, if you want to know what it's like to, to be a pro in the NFL, what it takes to be a pro in the NFL, that's the guy you follow. 
Okay. Just follow him around the building, you know, mimic his schedule, do what he does because he does everything the right way. So it, it's, it's unfortunate that Avant got into coaching this coaching internship because of the pandemic and it, and it put a halt to his, uh, his uh, launch business. It's like a indoor fun house that's geared towards like kids and teenagers. But uh, obviously with the pandemic, nobody's going to those places right now. So, you know, looking for something to do, he said, okay, let me try the coaching Avenue. And it's, it's been a great, especially in a year where you draft three young receivers. So, so, so important to get that knowledge and, and expertise in here. The other thing, I, I was just watching, I guess the formations on special teams and, you know, trying to get a sense of like, which guys are working with, with which units, you know, seeing where the rookies are getting involved, seeing guys like Kayvon Wallace out there, Sean Bradley uh, getting there with the first team units there, seeing where like Davion Taylor is lining up, you know, just trying to get a sense of these rookies who you, you feel good are going to make the team and just could they potentially have an impact on game day. And, and for a lot of these guys, it's going to be on special teams and you're wondering you know, how quickly could they possibly make an impact on the field in some regards? That, I mean, that, those were kind of the big things I was taking away. I think you did a great job bringing up the coaching aspect there and using this time for that and just kind of seeing where guys are lining up in, in different, different avenues. I think, honestly, like sitting amongst the media today, that was one of the big things that people were, you know, interested in was, all right, first team kickoff coverage is up. Who's out there? First team punt coverage unit's up. Who's out there? Who are the young guys that are out there? What's the second team unit? What's the third team unit? Uh, certainly something that a lot of people are tracking, I would imagine. Uh, there will be a lot written about that over the next 24 hours before the Eagles take the field again uh, tomorrow. Guys, uh, just kind of putting a ribbon on today, I kind of wanted to move forward to uh, just kind of a big picture thing. And look, like I said, not a lot to react to from today's practice. So I thought, all right, let's do kind of a burning questions uh, segment where each of us can, can present a pair of questions to the other two just an overall state of the team as we move closer and closer to the start of the 2020 season. Um, to me, one of the big topics of camp has been the offensive line. Uh, you know, and a lot of that goes hand in hand with how dominant the defensive front has looked, whether it's been scrimmages, team periods, it's looked really, really good up front defensively. So that people have said, all right, well, is that a cause for concern for the offensive line? I would say pump the brakes on that just a little bit, obviously for, for a couple of different reasons. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, and we, we have talked about why. Um, but to me, it's more about how just how good this defensive front has been. That being said, you are working with a new left tackle. You're working with a new right guard. There's a little, you know, you, there's some things that still have to get worked through. Uh, guys playing a new position, you know, Jason Peters playing a brand new position. Um, but still, to me, not a huge, huge cause for concern moving forward. I'll jump in here first here. Hassan Ridgeway spoke with the media today and he was asked that uh, about the defense looking, you know, more ahead than the offense at this point. And, and Hassan, I think the question was kind of asked thinking that it's more so this year because of the lack of spring work. And Hassan's like, that's like the case every single year. Like there's really no surprise there. It's like, you know, usually the defense is just trying to get after the offense, disrupt the offense while the offense gets its timing down. So, you know, don't be surprised if that will come together sooner than later. Um, but to me, the other thing to take into consideration here is you're not game planning. Okay. So, you know, soon the Eagles are going to, you know, quote unquote, break training camp, September 5th, they're going to narrow down a roster to 53. And then the focus is going to be more on game playing for that opener against Washington, where you say, look, 
Washington's got an outstanding defensive line. They used a number two overall pick on Chase Young. And I, and I know, Fran, you're already doing work for Eagles game plan on, you know, breaking down that, that Washington defensive line and, and all the problems that are going to present for the Eagles. But guess what? The Eagles can game plan out against that instead of just going through the plays in practice. They can say, all right, if we think that Carl Carson's going to need to get rid of the ball quickly. Guess what? We've got weapons to do that, you know, with quick screens and jet sweeps and things of that nature. There's different things that you can do to game plan. And when you look at the offensive line also, you know, Ben, before I'll, I'll let you touch on this, you look at the offensive line, you hope Lane Johnson's back for week one, okay? You obviously have Jason Kelsey, you know, three consecutive years, all pro at, at center. You've got Sayamalo who settled in there as a starter left guard. Peters, yes, new position, but he's in the, been in the league since 2004. Dillard has played nothing but left tackle his whole life, and he got a few games under his belt last season. So he's not you know, completely new to the position. So still a lot to work with there. And I think the Eagles realize that if they have to make amends for something, guess what? You can do that in a couple of weeks of game playing, which is something that Doug Pearson said on the Eagles Insider podcast with Dave Spadaro. That's the silver lining of having no preseason is that instead of worrying about preparing for the Thursday night preseason finale against the Jets, you know, which would have been, I think, next Thursday, a week from now, you can say, okay, we have more time then to prepare for that week one showdown mm-hmm. with Washington. I also think the fan base is a little conditioned to expect some chaos on the offensive lines to the team that won the Super Bowl with a backup left tackle. And I mean, we saw a Super Bowl team last year, the San Francisco 49ers have to survive nearly half the season with two backup tackles. It's a position that fans are trained to know that the depth is important. It's a physical position. It's a battle of attrition. And then they're always looking to see, hey, we have five good ones, but what about the five behind them? Because at some point that depth is going to get tested. And now just moving on from those, you know, plug and play guys like the big V and his versatility and, you know, some of the injuries already heading into the season. It's definitely a warranted conversation. But like Fran was saying, I think a little bit more pump the brakes than we need to. Yeah, that's, that's to me, is just the big thing. And C-Mac, I think you noted on a couple big things there. I talked with Dave Spadaro today uh, during our live stream of practice, which uh, you can always check uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, all the Eagles social media streams, the Eagles mobile app as well. Um, and Dave and I were talking about the offensive line. He said, look, I just talked with somebody in the personnel department. They said, look, you look around the league and it's, it's happening everywhere in terms of like the injuries and you know guys leaving the lineup and you know heading to the sidelines. You know, Dallas has lost a couple guys already. Um, you know, it, it, that's that's part of life in the NFL. And I, I made the point, you look at the, the Super Bowl champs uh, or the N- NFC champs, uh, San Francisco 49ers last year had to play like a large chunk of the season without Joe Staley, without Mike McGlinchey. And they just kind of had to make things up as they went along. With There's like two undrafted that yeah, filled in there too. It wasn't yeah, even guys that were high draft picks. No quite. I mean, they just, they had to figure it out. And so the, that's, that's the beauty of coaching. That's the beauty of, of, of football as teams have to kind of figure out figure that out. And to your point, C-Mac, that goes into the game planning aspect of it. So, yeah, like don't don't get too too hung up uh, on that one. But that, I thought that was the one big topic that was kind of overarching. C Mac, I'll go to you uh, to start things off here for uh, for your burning question. What's uh, what's the first thing on your mind? All right, so Rich Gangarello addressed the media for the first time. New C- senior offensive assistant coming over from the Denver Broncos. It was the offensive coordinator there last year, and has come from the Kyle Shanahan tree, working with him uh, in San Francisco and in Atlanta. And had some great things to say. A lot was about his background, what he's going to bring to the offense, called uh, Carson Wentz an elite processor. 
which I thought was very fascinating, which is something that, you know, compared it to Matt Ryan in Atlanta as something that, uh, you know, he's always admired Carson from afar and thinks that those mental traits will keep him as one of the elite quarterbacks for a long, long time. Um, but we've heard a lot about, and, and some of the quarterbacks have said this about marrying what, what Rich does great is he marries the run game and the pass game. Okay. And look, you could, you could say that and it sounds great, but you know, from you guys with the more extensive all 22 and, you know, deep knowledge of, of, of playbooks and what, uh, concepts teams are trying to run. What does that exactly mean? I, I guess that that's sort of the burning question. I think we're all looking to see how will this Eagles offense be different, and I think it's going to be a lot of subtleties. It's not going to be overarching. So, um, what what does that concept mean? Marrying the run game and the pass game. So to me, you know, it's all about making everything look the same, right? I mean, you talk about this, um, you know, when it comes to. Uh, for instance, route running as a wide receiver, right? You want every route that you run to look exactly the same for the first few steps so that the defensive back doesn't know if you're running a slant, if you're running a comeback, if you're running a go, if you're running a post, you know, so on and so on. With the, when it comes to the run game, uh, there was a great quote from Jeff Statlin back in our uh, Coach's, Master, um, Coach's Masterclass series back, uh, this was in May or June, whenever that first one debuted with, with Coach Statlin. And he said that you can't, you know, all the best run games have great play-action games. And it wasn't like, oh, you need to run to set up the pass. It was more when you have a great play-action pass game, that sets up your run game. That allows you to – where the defense has a little bit of hesitation, where they're not sure – you're trying to hide your intentions for as long as possible. And, you know, uh, Coach Cagarello talked about today, it's a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily pick up just by watching it on film. And little tiny details that, you know, he picked up with – working with Kyle Shanahan and with Mike Shanahan, uh, with Gary Kubiak, you know, with those guys uh, that come from that scheme, you know, and it could be, and I'm just, you know, stabbing at little things here, things like pad level with the running, with the offensive line, uh, things like some certain backfield actions. And I think that the Eagles have been pretty good. And Ben, I, you can agree with me on this. Uh, just from all the years of studying this offense with Doug Peterson, uh, with Jeff Stoutland, with Deuce Staley, with that, with that core staff that has been here, They've already done a really nice job of mirroring up their best run plays with their best play action plays. They, they do a nice job of complementing each other uh, and adding a guy like Scangarello uh, who comes from that tree with Shanahan and what they've done from that standpoint, that only adds to that. That's throwing gas on the fire that's already kind of lit there uh, in that offensive coaching staff room. So um, to me, like that, that's what that means is you're constantly keeping the defense off balance where when that ball is snapped and there's run action, you're a little bit of there's something a little bit in your head where you're you're just taking an extra step to key and diagnose. You're not making it easy for that second level. As Jeff Statlin said in that segment, the, the once the defense has seen it twice, linebackers, safeties, they're too good in the NFL. Uh, they don't they don't get fooled by the same thing multiple times. So you need to be able to throw different things at them that look the same. That's that's the whole key. So it's interesting you say it because at the end, I think it was his last quote during the press conference he talked about how coaches may watch it on tape and think they know it but rich almost got like a little giddy we said one of the best things is is being in the building with all these veteran coaches and that transition's been seamless but being with these guys and explaining those details and what those differences are and and so it, it's not just you see it on tape and think you can copy it because, you know, most teams try, are trying to do that, but it's like you can explain the whys and why those things have mm. been so successful over the years, Ben. 
And just to paint the full picture, it's a purely a philosophical approach. Yep. And we've seen a lot of the top offenses kind of uh, believe in this type of offensive design. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, all trying to instill foundational schemes, simplicity in the offense, and then add all those wrinkles and the eye candy and the adjustments off of it, rather than having other offenses that are more of a Rolodex. And you have giant playbooks with a variety of run schemes, and you never know what you're going to get on a down-to-down basis. Both ways have proven to be successful in the NFL. It's just kind of different strokes for different folks, and there's pros and cons to each philosophy. But making it all look the same, having that foundational scheme, I think is a great design to an offense. Ben, call me out here if I, if I'm wrong, but my understanding, you know, just like understanding what I know about uh, Mike Shanahan when he was in Denver, you know, obviously it was all stretch zone. It was outside zone, some inside zone worked in, but all their best play actions was again, quarterback under center. Cause the, you know, the shotgun wasn't as prevalent uh, in the mid nineties, late nineties. Right. So it was John Elway under center with outside zone, but then also the boot action off of that. Right. So that was like the big cat and mouse was, you had the run game with Terrell Davis and all, you know Mike Anderson and Orlandis Gary and Clinton Portis, all those guys that they cycled in and out. But then you had the threat of the quarterback on the move off of that. Now, when you fast forward 15 years, 20 years, and you throw in quarterback in the gun, quarterback in the pistol, all the different backfield actions that you can do in terms of like jet sweep action and orbit motion and things like that, all those different pieces of eye candy that you can still match up with all of your run plays and now throw in not just pass plays off that and play fakes, but gadgets and tossing it to Debo Samuel on an orbit motion, all of that stuff mixed in with it. So that's why it's kind of like it's gone from this is what Mike Shanahan did and did at such a high level in Denver and why they won two Lombardi trophies. And it's, you know, from a schematic standpoint, gone to the next level with his son, with Kyle Shanahan. You know, there's even a deep conversation in the analytics community on whether you even need to be successful at that run game or whether you just need to commit to it. And I think it's a really deep conversation about having something that's threatening and attacking to an opposing defense. And at the end of the day, just committing to a style, a scheme, a philosophy for opposing defense is the key. And then trying to counter off that and just making defenses wrong. But that's probably a little deeper of a conversation. I can guarantee you that if you're a Mike linebacker and it's the third quarter and there's seven minutes left and it's a three-point game, uh, when the ball is snapped, you're not in your head processing, all right, they averaged 2.3 yards per carry today, so it's probably a, run, a pass, not a run, as opposed to if it was 3.8 yards per carry. That's not going through their mind. They're still going to react to the, the threat. Uh, they aren't the carrying the graphing calculators like they used to out there. You know, oh, the game's yeah. changing. Yeah, of course. Uh, ben, let's go to you. What's your, uh, what's your burning question? I'm going to go a little different here, different style. Now it's some leadership on the back end of the defense gone. Malcolm Jenkins, Nigel Bradham, these are guys that dominated playtime. Malcolm Jenkins led the team in defensive snaps the last four years. Nigel Bradham, the last four years, has been third, third, second, and fifth to every down players that rarely came off the field. So my question for you two, who leads the defensive snap count in 2020? Mm. I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think obviously Rodney McLeod's not on there because of the injury, right? I mean, that was the the big one that would keep him from from entering that discussion. But I think Rodney is going to be in there. And I would say Jalen Mills uh, certainly seems to be in line. I mean, obviously you, you need those guys to stay healthy. That's one of the things with Nigel and Malcolm is that they were you know, so consistently uh, available that they were on the field and they were three down players. 
it seems to be C-Mac that Nate Gary is the three down linebacker for yep. this team. And when, when they're doing rotation in nickel, it's TJ Edwards and Duke Riley. Um, but it's 47, Nate Gary, the three down linebacker, um, who's going to take that next step. It seems like to me, I think that those are the three guys, right? It's, it's Mills, it's McLeod and it's Nate Gary. Um, you know, if you're going right up the middle of that defense. And before C-Mac gives his guess here for a second, the one caveat that's interesting with the Eagles of the last four years is the influx of injury at the cornerback position. Typically, one of those spots doesn't come off the field either. But because they've had so many injuries, so many different bodies back there, nobody's really dominated dominated the play count. So they stay healthy at the corner spot. Could be a newcomer that could dominate the snaps as well. Yeah, it's As you say that, I'm actually trying to see if I can – quickly bring up Darius Slay's snap count over the last three years. Where he's exactly what Pro I was Bowl, thinking there, C-Mac. Where, he, where he's made the Pro Bowl in each of those campaigns. So um, that that's really because he's the one who you know he's setting the tone, not just from an emotional standpoint, a leadership standpoint for that cornerback group, but also, uh, you know, from a playing standpoint, he's bringing that, that swat. I mean, really, he talked extensively about – you know, the attitude that he's helping bring to that defense. So so looking back here, what he did the last couple of seasons uh, with the Detroit Lions from a snap count stamp, snap count stamp. I mean, three of the last six seasons, uh, C-Mac, he's been over a thousand snaps. So he's a so, guy that if they had it their way, he's not coming off that field. So 2017, over almost 1,100 snaps, 98% of the snaps last two years, 89% in 18, only 75% if you miss a couple of games in 2019. But you go a couple of years before that, a little earlier in his career, uh, just short of 1,000 snaps in 2015, over 1,000 again in 2014. So he, he's definitely got on his resume that he can do that. So, you know, you're looking to have that lockdown corner. You would love to have him on the field for, you know, all 1,000 or so snaps this season. So along with the safeties, Darius Slay definitely should be in the mix here. Uh, no, that's a, a very, very good question. And my next question was going to be about the linebacker position and how that shakes out. I inadvertently answered my thought of that question when talking about, uh, you know, it seems like Nate Gary, again, the three down player, uh, can't really tell if it's a rotation or a position battle, or if it's like specialty packages with Duke Riley and TJ Edwards, both guys working with the first team nickel, uh, for obviously both guys, uh, working with the base defense when they have three linebackers on the field as well. But, um, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, kind of how that shakes out, who ends up winning that job between Duke Riley and TJ Edwards. We mentioned both guys had great picks in practice yesterday. Really impressed with uh, the TJ Edwards interception in particular, the leaping grab uh, in the end zone. Um, but both guys certainly bringing a little bit of converse, uh, you know, a little bit of opposite skill sets, I would say. Um, but both bringing, uh, you know, separate skill sets to the field. You know, when it comes to TJ Edwards, he spoke with the media today and he said that Nate Sudfeld uh, told him, I didn't think he had that kind of range. You know, I think you'd be able to get to that ball. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. TJ Edwards has this, you know, stigma that he's not as rangy enough, not athletic enough, so to speak, but he's got the smarts to make up for it, certainly. He's got plenty enough athleticism to showcase his talent out there on the field. It's just now he's got to go be able to do it. But, um, you know, I know that you guys have been pounding the drum for TJ Edwards to be there. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a big thing to look there. I like it. Well, C-Mac, let's go right back to you. What's your uh, second burning question? All right. So I was trying to think something a little different off the beaten path. I was special teams. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, could we see an improved group, not just from a return standpoint, because you brought in a jail and a regular, but how, how about the coverage units yep, because a of the youth? 
and the speed. And and you're looking at, you know, I mentioned that the, you know, earlier in the show, how it's like, how are we going to get guys like Davion Taylor and Kayvon Wallace on the field? It may not be on defense, but it may have to be Sean Bradley. I'll put him in the mix on special teams. Well, I mean, how good could this special teams unit have been? It's one that Dave Phipp has made the league's best during his time here in Philadelphia on a couple of occasions. Can the special teams unit get back to that level? I think it's a great point. You, know, you talk about all the speed that this, uh, this team has added on both offense and defense, and we've talked about that from an offensive and defensive standpoint, but certainly affects the special teams units as well. And you're talking about adding guys uh, that have that kind of range, have that kind of explosiveness. Still some guys on the roster, like even like Rudy Ford was acquired late last summer. You know, he, he's one of the first guys down on kickoff. He's not going to be like, you know, exponentially faster than all the guys around him every single week now. I mean, you throw in guys that have those legit wheels uh, alongside him on punt coverage and kickoff coverage as well. I agree with you. I, I think it's a little bit of an undertold storyline here uh, as we're now like, you know, more than halfway through camp. You know, Fran, the three guys that played the most on special teams last year, I think they're all transitioning themselves into more through and through full-time players on the defensive side of the ball. And that's TJ Edwards, Nate Gary, Duke Riley. Those are one, two, and three as far as special team snaps last year. So that kind of opens the door, in my opinion, to Davion Taylor, Sean Bradley, that next line of linebackers, those young guys. I think it's their four core special team units to kind of uh, embrace and really, uh, you know, become a uh, an enthusiastic special teams contributor. Yeah, Kayvon Wallace, for sure, a guy that you would expect uh, to have an impact as well uh, in the third phase of the game. See, I, I like that. That was a good, that was a good topic. Uh, to bring up. Sixth one here, our final one, our sixth burning question. Ben, uh, I'll come to you. Uh, I had a couple here I wanted to decide between, but we'll go with this one. Just go so, with both. Why not? Throw them both. Throw them both. Both, both rookies last year, Miles Sanders, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, tied with five downfield receptions in 2019. That's categorized as over a 20-yard pass. Okay. So who leads the team in this category in 2020 with cool. this new influx of downfield weapons? Wow. I think I mean it's, it's got to be Deshaun, right? I yeah. mean, unless you're like you're, he's healthy. I mean, he's the downfield guy, and, and Jalen Rager will be featured downfield. And you know, if they if they make the team, John Hightower, Quez Watkins are going to be featured downfield. Um, but I just feel like you know when Deshaun is out there, I mean, he's he's an absolute game breaker. We saw that in a small sample size last year, one game uh, with Carson Wentz and this offense, two catches of uh, fifty plus yards. It's a problem if Miles Sanders is the guy again. Let's put it that way for everything that the Eagles have added on the offensive side of the ball. Not to take away that Sanders can't do it, but the fact that you have Deshaun coming back and he had two 50-plus yard touchdowns in his one full game. You bring in Rager and you mentioned all the other guys. Dallas Goddard, you know, has that, that athleticism make big plays. I mean, yeah, it, it's I would lean toward Deshaun as well. Ben, here's the question, though. What was the, what was the number for, uh, for Miles Sanders? So they five? each caught five downfield, yep. Plus or minus uh, five for uh, Miles Sanders in, in that category this year. Well, Fran, don't try to limit our backfield verticals, all right? <laughs> we got to get him down the seam and on the wheels and down the field. I know. Uh, that, like we I, love seeing that, out of the backfield there. So I'm going to say five's a lot for running back. I'll put him at just under at four. I think they're right. still going to find some creative uses and take advantage of his speed and hands down the field. Oh, here's the thing. I mean – if you have Deshaun taking the top off a of defense, that maybe that's opening a void for Miles Sanders to be able to thrive. So I, five is a lot, but uh, 
you know, still should heavily be involved in the mix. I just hope that he's not leading the team. That's the, yes, sure. That's right, the big right. thing there. All year. right, I'm squeezing one in. Wild card, seventh question, All lightning right, okay. round here. You get Playoff 10 seconds team. to answer. Aside from Darius Slay, already talked about big role as a free agent. Who's going to have the next biggest free agent impact? And just to throw some names really fast, Will Parks, Javon Hargrave, Nicole Roby Coleman, or some that come right to mind. C-Mac, so, why don't you throw one out there first? I was going to yeah. go Nicole Roby Coleman. I was going to yeah. throw him there. So I, I still think Javon Hargrave will be a huge addition, especially to the rotation. Uh, but you're having in Fletcher Cox. You're having Malik Jackson. You're hoping that it's a rotation that they're playing equal amounts snaps because I really want to take the pressure off Fletcher this year that's the biggest thing is this can't be the Fletcher Cox show and only the Fletcher Cox show defensive tackle and throwing Ridgeway out there because he's played very well in this camp and you know to have him as a fourth guy would be huge but you know you need to have that quality play from that that nickel corner position okay Cravon LeBlanc certainly can step in there and do it as well but Nikel Roby Coleman has been one of the best in the league in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I, I've made the comparison to the, the Patrick Robinson edition, so to speak, yeah. there, finding that oh, guy. Like that. So uh, I'll, I'll throw in Nikel Roby Coleman. And we're already down two free agents, Fran, because of Jatavis Brown's retirement and Marquise right. Goodwin opting out. So yeah. that was two other potential two impact guys. So to me, if Malik Jackson had come back from this injury, right, and he had been like solid, if he had looked solid this camp, not as disruptive as dominant as explosive as violent as versatile as he's looked every single day here this summer i would have said yeah like all right he's going to be the third defensive tackle javon hargrave is going to be you know right next to fletcher cox more often than not but with malik jackson just looking how he's looked it's going to be tough to keep him off the field for too too long right so even though like and i love javon hargrave I think he's probably, he's well deserving of being a starter next to Fletcher Cox, and I agree with you, C-Mac. Playing those guys in a three-way rotation where they're they're all getting you know forty-five to forty-eight to fifty-two snaps a game, you know something in that range, and you're keeping it relatively close. Maybe Fletcher Cox has a little bit of a lead. Yeah, like that's that's what you want. But Nikel Roby Coleman's going to be an almost every down player in this on this defense, right? I mean, he, he there has been no competition in the slot. He's been impressive almost consistently from day one. He's made multiple pass breakups against Deshaun Jackson at every level of the field, short, medium, and deep down the field. He's been really impressive. He gets his hands on a lot of balls. He's instinctive. He's tough. He can blitz. He can do lots of different things. I, I like the Kel Roby Coleman. And so even though uh, I'm a big fan of Javon Hargrave, I've liked him since South Carolina State, I feel like you're getting more of an impact from a guy who's probably going to play more snaps on a week-to-week basis uh, from uh, Nikel Roby Coleman. And I actually think Will Parks is going to be in an opportune position to make a lot of plays, probably more of a third down dime backer, but he's going to be guarding in the pass game, middle of the field, tight ends, backs. We'll probably get the green light on a couple blitzes. It's going to be in that nucleus of the defense or maybe a tip ball interception. So while he may not be an every down player, he might be a guy that flashes and really becomes a fan favorite because I expect him to make a big player too. I really like Will Parks. Uh, I really Me like too. Him. I'm, I'm excited for him. Yeah, no question. Well, guys, this has been fun. That was a that was a fun little segment. It was a light day at practice, but I thought we hit on some uh, some fun topics. We'll have some more action tomorrow, though. So we'll make sure you tune in tomorrow, right here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, guys. 
Great stuff from Ben and Chris. You can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL and at CMAC Eagles. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I'll say it again, the best way to throw us your support as we get closer to the start of the 20. 20 season. We're just over two and a half weeks away until week one against Washington. You got to be excited. Best way to throw us your support as we get closer and closer to that game, go on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. That being said, thanks so much to CMAC, to Ben, and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.